Hello, and again, welcome to BitDev. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. Oh, so, I mean, I always start with, who are you, what do you do? But what is Poly Innovator? <laughs> so Poly Innovator takes off the idea of being a polymath of innovation. So it is my personal brand, which just essentially means for those who aren't aware, there's an online reputation of sorts where I create content in multiple different ways, platforms, and pretty much omni-channel, meaning everywhere. And Poly Innovator is just being a polymath or the journey of becoming one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, yeah, now... Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> yes. So I'm Dustin. I am a content creator, a personal trainer, fitness instructor, and overall just creator in general of online stuff. What kind of online stuff? Yes. <laughs> so um, it's kind of good, good there, pre-active, a proactive question there, but I like <laughs> it. I do spriting, which is 2D creation of characters. I do videos, podcasts, blog posts. And then what I do for the most part is what I call omni content, where I create a blog post. I turn that into a slideshow. I record over both, make that into a video, and I take that out and make it a podcast. So I'm able to really mm -hmm. take one piece of content as far as possible and reach a wider range of people. Uh, why? <laughs> why why make it uh everything instead of just like oh here's a podcast here's a slideshow think of it kind of like this the the work that you have to do to make more content I, I, as someone who loves doing it it's always hard because you have to make a whole new piece of content if you're doing interviews like this that we're on it's a whole nother person you have to talk to with it mm -hmm. but let's say we take this interview and then you can uh, transcribe it and you get a blog post out of it. Not always the greatest blog post, but people like to read the transcriptions a lot of the time too. Sure. If you were recording video or even just the audio, you could do a visualizer, then you could put it on YouTube, which I saw your YouTube has all the um, podcasts you had right, there in yeah. the past already. So that's good. That way people can go there on that platform. And then, so you have three different mediums already right there. And then you can take the audio or video, chop it up into little pieces and share it on social media. And so you just get a much wider range and reach from just one piece of content versus having to remake a whole bunch. So not to mention two for different platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then what kind of content are you making? What are you discussing? What are mm -hmm. you talking about? What are you presenting? Good question. So for the most part, my brand is the niche is about being a polymath or becoming one. And a lot of people mm -hmm. don't know what the concept is. It just essentially means someone who's wide ranging in skills or knowledge and so or learning as well. And so I really love that concept. It's always resonated with me even since I was a child. And so I wanted to share that knowledge that I've gained and also share the idea with people. And I've talked to a lot of people like you who I think that we're going to have a great conversation <laughs> and being able to have these conversations about being a polymath or even just about philosophy and r random discussions has been a very great experience. And then on top of yeah. that, I like creating just blog posts and yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So... Let's start kind of at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How did you get here? <laughs> Interesting. So I grew up in the Midwest in a college town. Um, with a lot of colleges in my area, there was a lot of modernness to it. Even though it's in the Midwest, people will think that we're hillbillies or something like that. But for the <laughs> most part, uh, Midwest US, I might specify. But um, for the most part, we're actually a pretty modern of a city and smaller. But this has always been one of those places in this kind of area that we've been very active. In fact, where I live actually had the largest train station out west for about like 100, not 100 years, but for the longest time, the the Wabash train station was the biggest one out in this entire area. So this particular city I'm in, Columbia, is very well known, at least in the past, for something like that. And I think that that historical context has very led into the community that we've built. And it's very creative. It's very artistic driven. The, co the high colleges and high schools are very artistic driven. So when I grew up, I think there was a lot of support for that kind of mentality. And I have always loved being creative. In fact, I didn't do well in school because I would always just start creating stuff instead of paying attention in class. Right. Um, so then did you end up going to college? Did you uh, start and then realize that it wasn't for you? How did that kind of pan out? I applied to college back when I was in high school, but after just getting denied for places that I didn't really care that much about, I just stopped trying. And then I realized that 
in order for me to become who I wanted to be, I didn't need to learn, but I realized that college didn't necessarily mean that was the way I needed to learn. With the advent of online resources like MOOCs and online courses and these videos, podcasts like this, where you can learn a lot from people, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to make my own degree. And I called it the DIY degree at first, but now the modular degree, where you can actually choose your education, make it modular. If you don't like it, you can take it out. If you do like something, you can put more in it. And I started pursuing that. I did go to college for a short time, but I realized it wasn't worth it. Right. And I think one of the the bigger realizations we're having over time mm-hmm. uh, with our generation and younger is that people are starting to realize that college isn't for them. And I think that maybe for the longest time, that was something that everyone just thought, oh, this is an essential thing. We all need to go to college after high school. And now as we're seeing, especially with a pandemic like this, we're seeing, well, one, we don't even have to go to college because you can just stay home. Uh, And then the other part is that there's no guarantee that once I leave college with this fancy degrees that I have so much debt on that I'll have a job from that. So how are you kind of trying to reshape education in that way? Good question. And I I like the way you kind of mentioned too, that with the global pandemic, everyone's staying home. There's a lot of realization going on where like, Hey, why am I spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to a degree that I'm not actually going to. And even even if the quality of the material stays the same and you're learning the same thing that you would in college, which I think the benefit of going to college would be to actually get that networking. The actual learning is not that much different than what you could do at home. There was actually a guy who, this is all leading to the answer, but there was a guy named Scott Young who did what he did, a MIT challenge. Mm -hmm. And so... Basically, he took a four-year computer science degree. This was back when courses weren't really a big thing. So back around 2011, he used OpenCourseWare and textbooks to actually pursue that four-year degree in one-year time span and mm-hmm. actually was pretty successful at it. And all he had was basically textbooks and some online materials that the, the professors had just shared. Now we have a whole bunch of courses from those schools, no less. We have all kinds of different ways of thinking and modalities and pedagogies where you can actually learn on your own using advice from other people like myself, maybe like you as well. And it's just interesting how if people can realize the wealth of resources that are out there, we can use them. What I found is that there's a hard way to organize it with all these resources. You don't know which one to do first, which one you actually want to do, let alone need to do. And then you also lose out on that community aspect that you get in college. That's where a lot of people think that the actual benefits from is the networking. So what I try to do with this modular degree framework is to create a system where people can at least self-evaluate, hey, is this working for me? Let's try something else. So like a skill tree in a video game, for example, where right. there's these branching paths of skills that you can go down. I want to try to apply that same concept, but to learning. Yeah. Uh, how do you kind of weed out the bad resources or the ones that don't necessarily get you to where you're going? And how do you figure out, especially being a polymath, you're kind of foraying into a variety of different things. And so it may not be something you fully know the credibility of something. How do you kind of figure that part out? Well, first, it comes down to like self-awareness. I I was lucky that I spent the first six years after high school pursuing self-development, which includes self-awareness, include uh, self-reflection and like just retrospective on what I've learned in the past and what has worked. And, and you also kind of have a little bit of intuition on it. If something doesn't work, if you feel like you're taking this course and it's so boring, no matter what you do, <laughs> I learned that early on, I love doing um, speeding up the videos or like speed reading. And that helps me actually retain the knowledge better than if I just watch it at normal speed. And because of that, I was able to get through a lot of boring courses that I normally probably wouldn't have done. And that actually have benefited me. So knowing how to learn knowing what you want to learn, like personally, like what are you actually interested in? Not taking a course for the sake of taking a course like you would in actual traditional college. But um, yeah, just kind of having that self-awareness like, hey, is this course actually engaging me? Is it difficult enough to kind of get me into the state of flow? That sort of thing. Yeah. How do you 
find or how do you help other people acknowledge the training or the work that went into it? Because I, I feel like um, I can't remember who made the point about it, but we kind of go to college for uh, instead of for ourselves and for the knowledge, but it's really just to show others that we have this knowledge and it's kind of the only accepted systematic way that people know that like, look, I went to school for music production. I went to school for music composition. I have this fancy thing that says that I did so. And so you should trust me and say that. And whenever I say that I know these things, except for if you are a polymath and you are self-taught, you're using all the same resources that all these universities, universities use, but you don't have a teacher who also has that degree that signed off on that saying like, this person did this thing. So how, how do we get past that gap between doing the work and being recognized for it? So I think that's a systemic problem where we're focusing so much on accreditation and we believe that it's 100% correct. But that's actually one detail I kind of glossed over earlier is that the proof of learning is something that isn't as important as you might think. Like you don't want to go to college just to get a piece of paper. And that's what a lot of people Mm -hmm. do. They do it to get a job. But as the history has shown, colleges don't actually produce jobs. They try to teach you knowledge and people think that they're going to give you a job. And that's what's been the societal norm and mindset that like, hey, if I go to college, I'm going to get a uh, job in this field. But for the most part, people don't, employers don't look for a degree. They look for, can this person learn? Can this person actually do the skills they want to do? And half the time they have their own training program in their own corporation actually train Mm -hmm. you again anyways they actually don't take any like nuclear physicist degrees when he goes to like a nuclear power plant they have their own training program for that because they just they want to make sure you actually learn it properly they don't trust Mm -hmm. the degrees enough to actually do it which i understand Mm -hmm. nuclear physics is something that you really want to be careful with but um i think that's just a good point and even like google ibm they don't look for degrees anymore so the whole idea of accreditation is just a matter of having proof which I think that you can actually do very easily nowadays through what I mentioned earlier, my personal brand. That's actually mm-hmm. one reason why I created Poly Innovator was to be the actual proof that I did this monster degree. And this over time showing like, hey, this is the courses I've been taking. Granted, I do need to actually do better at like making videos on what I've been learning, but still using that mm. p- personal brand as like a proof of concept. Yeah, yeah. It does kind of put the burden on the employers to kind of test the people that they're hiring and being like, do you actually know this thing? Because yeah, it would be very easy and people do this all the time that, uh, I mean, prime example being something like fire festival a few years back where we have all of these things is going to be great and people can talk a big talk all day, but until they show you, what they actually have and show you that they can actually pull this off. There's no way of knowing if someone is just talking versus if they are really capable of these things. So let me add a point there too. When I've been talking this whole time about the podcast, uh, not the po- during this podcast, I mean, um, I haven't been talking in the mindset of a polymath. I've been talking in the mindset of a self learner. So an autodidact right. of sorts. And so I really think that's an important distinction to make as well for anybody. Cause Yes, I personally want to be polymath, and I built my modular degree to be suitable for that. But anybody can pursue any particular niche or specialist position they want to do. So if you want to go into graphics design and you teach yourself how to use Photoshop and you can make videos on it, whatever, and your personal brand, like you said, it's a lot for the employer to go through. But a lot of people, a lot of employers go through portfolios anyways. If you have a mm-hmm. portfolio website, these are all the images I make, they're going to go through that. And if, especially if you're worth it, if you have a proof right off the bat, like, hey, this is the image I made. And they're like, wow, that's a very beautiful image. They're going to look more on what you have done. There's also a resource that your listeners might like. It's called Crash.co, which is a platform where people can 
pitch companies like, hey, you have this open role. I think I'm going to be a good fit for it. I know I don't have a degree that says I can do it, but here is my video that I made specifically for you showing you how I know this skill. And I think it's a really interesting concept where you're actually proving to the recruiter right off the bat that you know how to do it and you're actually helping them already for that company to show that you know it. Yeah. I think that's a really good uh way of showing things uh so we kind of talk about being a polymath and all that stuff but what is all of the stuff i mean you can't learn everything but what what are the things that you like leaning into even if it is a long list so stop me if i go on a tangent because <laughs> this is one of those areas where i can definitely go into i think what might be interesting to kind of mention is that there's actually a new term that people probably don't know about. I mean, many people don't know about polymath, but there's an interesting concept of an omnimath, someone who knows literally everything. And that's impossible, as we all know. Right. People often think polymaths are not possible because you can't do more than one specialization at a time. But I think the key concept there, the reason why I brought up omnimath is that you can't be everything. But a polymath is not everything, even though you might want to do many areas and you might want to do everything that you want to do. Like I have all these interests and I want to do all of them, every single one. It's not about doing them all at once. If you try doing that, there's a little chance of success and you have to be consistent with all of them, building up those skill pillars for each. What a real polymath, I think, is is someone like Leonardo da Vinci or Benjamin Franklin or Elon Musk who has built skills over time and then switched over to something else. So actually, a lot of people, like geriatric crowd and like baby boomers, a lot of them actually probably are polymaths without even realizing it. People switch careers throughout their life anyways. After 10 years, I, I might not want to do this particular job. I want to pivot to something new. And after 10 years of that job, you've not become a master per se at that skill. You've probably gotten very proficient. You got into a high level of knowledge in that area. And you do that multiple times throughout your life. By the end of your life, you're a polymath. But it doesn't yeah. take that long necessarily. But I'm just as an example. Mm. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. So then explaining <laughs> I, the polymath, what are you into? <laughs> yeah, I Totally missed the whole entire question there, didn't I? I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, so for me, I'm interested in a lot of different areas, as we kind of already said. When I was a child, I always told people I wanted to be a businessman. And so business has been a kind of big aspect in my life. As I grew up, I told people I'd be a CEO of an international company driven to innovate technology and ideology. And those two areas are something I'm very interested in. I love being a techie. I have three screens right here even. Mm -hmm. I built my computer. I love technology. Um, and then innovation is something I've always found to be very interesting, that creative drive to bridge two areas into one new idea. And so that's what came around the poly innovator concept is that I want to drive all the areas that of interest that I'm in, video games, technology, creativity, music, whatever interest I'm going to go into, exercise, for example, or self-education in this particular case, uh, I want to try to innovate it as much as possible while I'm learning it, doing it, and experiencing it. Yeah. No, that's a good thing. Uh, I like that you mentioned uh, kind of self-learning in that because there is a it is a skill that you can develop learning how to learn exactly you yeah. can you can become a master of mastery uh <laughs> and that's a i think that whenever people see the the types of people that are they'll go into anything and be great at anything you're like oh man i hate that person for being so good at everything but at the same time it's like we can all do that too we're it's not some magical thing that that person has it is something reachable for anyone yeah <laughs> well um yeah go, go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say learning is just, it's a skill that you need to learn how to do better and they don't teach it in high school and they barely teach it anything about it in college but yeah yeah um so going to some of your other stuff uh what is smart city i saw that you mentioned that on your website but uh kind of explain that concept a little bit more yeah, so sadly, I don't have as much information on my website, more than like a blog post at this particular point, but smart city technology is essential or development is probably the best term to use for it, is the idea of a interconnected city where all these little Internet of Things devices, IoT devices, are connected to the overall network. So think like watchdogs, 
in the video game universe where if you go to a stoplight, it's connected to the internet. If you go to a uh, garage door, it might be connected to the internet too. Just all these different areas of technology that people don't normally think would be connected usually are, and they can end up dramatically improving people's living life experience. And it's not really a good explanation. Think of it like in Singapore, for example, one of the most world's smartest nations that we have at the current point. They actually designed their urban buildings, their city layouts, off of the idea of how the wind travels between the buildings to optimize the wind flow for the citizens and for their wind uh, generators, I believe, as well, and just tries to control the flow of the air going through the city. And they did that through data, big data for one, and just data analysis and allowing for, they wouldn't have had that data had they not had the devices in the city making it smart. Right. So how do we apply these concepts to our world? Because, I mean, it. there are cities already built that didn't apply these concepts. So do we tear cities down? Do we redesign how we do it? Do we build new cities? and apply these concepts. And then there's also the aspect of, well, sorry, I'm asking two questions at once, but uh, <laughs> that if everything is connected through the internet, as we see in watchdogs, everything is really hackable. And so, uh, and that's something that does happen in the real world too. There's a lot of people that have smart homes, they can control their lights and their locks and everything through the internet, but then it's also very easily hackable and people can gain access to people's homes, gain access to people's cameras, and all that kind of stuff. Um, belting out that last point first, uh, security is also evolving with this as well. Encryption services and with quantum computers or even just cryptology in general too, in a more simple sense, has been dramatically improving as well. So security is actually going to improve alongside a lot of that. So people's worries can be a little bit subsided. And then on top of that too, Watch Dogs is fiction. I mean, it may be based right. off some ideas of like real people or something like that, but there are also the people in that game and the people they may ha happen to be based off of are very niche and highly skilled individuals. It's not like the whole city's hacking the city. It's like right. five people who are doing it mm -hmm. for a a good cause in the game at least and it's interesting how people are worried about the privacy aspect but we've already given up most of our privacy through the social platforms <laughs> anyways and then to answer your other question this is a big debate going on about should we build new cities should we improve old cities and i'm i'm a little bit of a fan of the former building new cities is a lot better for the actual structure of a city because most of the ones we have now have a really bad urban sprawl, which means that these cities are spread out to be used more by cars rather than walking or keeping a sustainable mindset. Because if you have suburbs and all these neighborhoods spread away from the city, yes, you could drive back and forth. But as we've seen with a lot of the data coming from emissions coming from cars and how not everyone can drive, not everyone should drive, and we should start thinking about the cities being more interconnected socially as well, not just technology, but with like, if your neighbor is near you, you should be able to talk to your neighbors and get to know who they are. I live in a compartment building. I don't really know any of my neighbors except for the one across from me. And that's just more of a societal norm rather than a issue of communication per se. I haven't had a reason to go talk to any of them besides the one across. And right. so there, there'll be a, a systemic change in people's social norms, I think, as well, that will help to answer your question, that will help either case, whether we build new ones or tear down old ones to, uh, I mean, rebuild old ones, I mean, because like Barcelona is a city that they're rebuilding to make it smart. It's one of the best uh, other smart cities in the world as well. Yeah. I don't know um, if I answered a question well there. But. No, 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 I think that that really did answer the question. Um, I'm trying to think if I should follow one train of thought or the other. Uh, Do the first one. I'll go with the stupid question first. Okay. Which is, why education? Why is education important? Sometimes asking stupid questions gets to a deeper point about it. So, so <laughs> education, like as in self-education or education in smart cities or what? Uh, education as in self-education, but also education in general, especially once you apply it yeah. through 
uh, concepts like a smart city too. Well, let, let's uh, look at the lens of evolution, for example. I, I believe it was Darwin who said that it is the species that are most likely to that are most able to adapt that are most likely to survive. And education is the process of adapting, essentially. You learn from your experiences, you learn from other people's experiences. When you sit there and read a book, you spend a few hours reading that book, but you learn a person who wrote that book, like a lifetime to actually learn that, but condensed down to three hours. So you're able to, that's why most of these successful people, from Steve Jobs to Warren Buffett to Henry Ford, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, all these famous, like, successful people, almost 99% of them attribute their success to self-education in some degree, shape, or form. And um, one of the first interviews I was ever on, someone asked me a similar question because I was I was going more for self-development rather than self-education, but essentially the same idea. They asked me, why should someone pursue self-development? And I actually was so into that concept of self-development that I was dumbfounded by the question. I couldn't actually answer it. I think at this point, I can officially say that why not? Most people have time, especially due to quarantine at this current point, perfect time for it. But a lot of people actually have more time than they actually think they have to actually do it. And their lives can be dramatically improved when you pursue education. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then the other thought that the other train of thought that I followed is a uh, smart city. sounds a lot like the Venus project. We had mm -hmm. uh, mentioned that in email. And so, uh, that's actually something that I found out about or caught on to uh, whenever I was a lot younger, and I've never, I've never really let go of that uh, because it. I've never seen anyone disprove it, <laughs> or you know what I mean. And so, uh, what do you know about the Venus Project? How are you kind of influenced by that idea? Because it, it sounds really uh, similar. So. Let's start off by talking about Jack Fresco. So he was the mm. kind of visionary behind the Venus Project. He is the late, he's late, he passed a few years back. Uh, and from the videos I saw of him, he seemed a bit, I don't want to say eccentric, which because I'm eccentric, I, I, it's not a negative mm -hmm. concept, but he seemed one of those kind of people that did not think like norm. He was one of those visionaries who saw the world in a different way, which I think was crucial to the development of the Venus Project. And the whole concept behind the, uh, TVP, I guess you could say, is to change how societies are, I don't want to say ran, but just operated by the individuals in that society, which is kind of what I was alluding to earlier when it came to smart cities, is that there's going to be this systemic change in how we think and how we interact with other people. With the future of work and future education, there's a lot of concepts of shared working spaces, shared learning spaces, and even shared living spaces where a lot of people are going to come together and instead of having a whole bunch of apartments, when people work at different hours, they will just share the same space and go in and out for willy-nillys in a way. And I say that knowing that I did not explain it very well, but this idea of changing how we live and operate is kind of a core principle behind the Venus Project. And so a lot of the architectural structures that Jack had designed and a lot of the actual city designs. He he designed a lot of smart cities, even if they weren't high in technology for the most part. I think they were trying to be, though. But they were more about how we live and how we should mm -hmm. live our lives, a more of a lifestyle change. And I kind of see it as we need to have a balance of the lifestyle change and a technology change to really be successful in any front of a city development. Yeah. Uh, and I think that... It's hard because we don't know how we're going to get from here to there. And I think that that was one of the biggest problems that not only I have, but a lot of people have, that this ideal looks really nice and it can be really well designed, but it's really hard to get from where we are now to there. Do you have any ideas as to how we can make a smart city happen without just like upending society <laughs> well first and foremost it's a, it's a step-by-step -step system not everyone's going to adopt it right away so if you look at the bell curve of adoption rates for anything usually this is applied to like SaaS companies in san francisco and silicon valley but 
you can't see me on this podcast, but if you look to the left, it's a small little curve. If you look up to the top, it goes up like a bell, drops down like a bell, onto the right, it drops out. So you have the early adopters on the left. You have the um, people who are like early on the occasion. So like, hey, this is a new technique TV, but I want someone to prove it first. And so the early adopters will be the ones that prove it. Then the, um, oh no, so there's innovators and early adopters. Innovators like like myself, I probably buy a product on Kickstarter that's not been proven and I want to try it out. And so I'll be willing to spend my money, even if it's a crappy product. I've done that before where I bought something on Kickstarter mm-hmm. and it wasn't worth it. So I would be one of those innovators that would buy something like that. And then someone might see me buy it and be like, hey, I actually like that idea. I want to try it myself and you seem to like it. Now I'm going to be an early adopter. And then you get the kind of general mass at the top of the bell. Below that, you get some of the late adopters, some people who are like, I really want a lot of reviews and and people talking about it first before I even try it. And then you have people at the bottom of the bell who are always late to vacation. They're the ones who still have an old flip phone today, basically. Mm-hmm. Like my roommate yeah. even has like one of those old type phones and he won't <laughs> he won't change it and it's like that. And when you apply that idea to smart cities, there's gonna be people who adopted it first. Like there's there's these uh seasteaders, people who want to live on these cities built on the sea. So instead of building new smart cities on land, they're using little gulfs and kind of bays to create these online uh, on the ocean structures. And I think there's gonna be a lot of those early adopters and innovators in that front as well. Not, and not to mention Singapore and Barcelona, and then people like you and I who might be early adopters, and then more and more people come through. Yeah. I do have yeah. more to say, but I I want you to answer your question first. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, if... I keep hitting my mic. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you do have more to say on that, uh, you can, because I was just going to move to what's something people don't normally know about you okay so i'll answer the first question then because i i didn't quite answer your question i just kind of explained why we haven't done it yet because like (laughs) that bell curve is interesting because if you want the innovators to adopt these smart city ideas or the venus project and so roxanne if you're listening to this hear me out you need people who are going to develop themselves and i'm sure she completely agrees with it she was the person that was with jack for the longest time um Mm -hmm. helping him build this and uh I actually contacted her a while back and she kind of alluded to the fact that I didn't know what I was talking about when it came to that. But I think what happened was, is that I was so past the idea. I had already adopted the idea of like, Hey, we need to change our lifestyle. We need to change our actions to do it. That I don't think she realized that through email. And I think the point to be made is that you have to change your mindset. You have to be open to new ideas and growth, which you only get those two skills, being open to ideas and growth mindset through self-development and self-education or even self-improvement in a way. All three are a little bit different. And when you apply those areas of interest, learning how to learn, learning how to grow, then you're going to become that innovator who adopts that smart city. You're, you're actually prepared to be open enough to do it because it's a, it's a novel concept to a lot of us. Even if we've seen it in Star Trek, actually applying mm-hmm. it to real life is way different. And then we get the more general mass behind those early adopters and innovators who will be like, okay, now I'm more willing to move there because we have these awesome scientists and we have these awesome politicians and whoever are open-minded enough to actually go to these cities. And then we get that general mass to actually move or create these new cities. Yeah. Uh, You sound like you've read Mindset by Carol Dweck. (laughs) I've heard of it and I've read a review, but I haven't actually read the book. So send me the link and I'll happy check it out. Very good book. Uh, I was already kind of on that train of thought by the time <laughs> that I read it, but then it really yeah, solidified it with a lot of evidence. So great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so go ahead. What's something that people don't normally know about you? Well, usually it's the fact that I'm a polymath, but or trying to become <laughs> one. But uh, people know and who listen to this podcast know that already. I am a swim instructor. I've been doing it for almost a decade now, and I taught water aerobics and move your joints, water boot camp, and personal training, and all kinds of fitness, especially in the aquatic realm, let alone in the gym. Beyond that, the other thing was that the first one of the first things I said is spriting, which is the creation of 2D characters. It's just a hobby of mine. I don't really intend on sharing that too much to people for the most part, but it's something that is novel. People don't know. Yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> uh what advice do you have for other people that are kind of trying to 
foray into this polymath sort of thing, or they are going to college and they are realizing it's not really for them. How do you kind of get started in this? Well, we're still on this kind of particular point on the college front that if you feel like if you're close to finishing a degree, finish it. You might as well have that piece of paper um, Mm -hmm. if you're like two classes away from doing it. If you think that it's causing so much stress to your life that it's actually detrimental to your success and overall mental health, then quit and pursue something that you're more interested in. Because passion is what is the lifeblood of life, essentially. If you're not passionate about doing it, then don't do it. Um, I think that to answer your question, actually, in a more interesting way is Ikigai is the reason for being a Japanese concept for the reason of why do you exist? And essentially what it is, is the balance of four areas. Like, what are you good at? What can you provide to other people for a a, a cost? And what are you interested in? And what does the world need? And between those four areas, if you can find something, find one passion or one kind of area that interests you and even a little bit that goes for, that actually includes all four of those little circles, then you'll find your Ikigai and that's what you can do. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing up the concept of Ikigai, because that is a good transition into the second half of the podcast, Perfect. which is what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Okay. Um, spirituality in my life. So I don't want to go on too much of a tangent because I feel like I've gone a lot of tangents today, but essentially spirituality, I feel like is often overfluffed with religion. I think that they need to be rather separate. I think religion can be a good way to go into a spiritual development if you feel like it's not preventing your growth mindset. So in my experience, a lot of religions have prevented growth mindset, which is thereby prevented spiritual growth. But with Buddhism or even just generic science, there's a way to actually be more spiritual. And I think that's actually kind of controversial for thought where, oh, you're using science to be more spiritual? That doesn't make sense. (laughs) But um, spirituality to me is more of the balance between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Yeah. Uh, What's sort of been your journey through that? Uh, I mean, you mentioned you grew up in the Midwest, so I'm sure you're surrounded by Christianity, whether you like it or not. Uh, And so (laughs) uh, what's sort of been your experience uh, through that and how did you get to where you are now? So let's let's just be clear that I am in the Bible Belt and within a 300 mile radius, there's 900 churches around me. Yep. And I think that's too much, like not to be hating, <laughs> hating on Christianity or something like that. It's just too much. We need more quality of places. If you're going to, if you're, well, regardless of religion, you choose from quality over quantity. Um, what's interesting about Colombia that I live in, which I guess I'm giving away my location now, but what's interesting about the city is that there's a very open mindset. So like I mentioned earlier, it's a very creative uh, place. And I think it stemmed from the multicultural impact. So in my high school, we actually had a day where, they uh, different cultures that were in the school. So if we had someone from Zimbabwe, or we had someone from China or from India, and they had a certain culture part, like they wanted to share. So food or music or some kind of dance or play, the school would put on this like fair or festival kind of thing inside the hallways where these different students could set up a stand and share their culture with the world or not the world, with the high school. And this kind of concept still kind of applies to the actual city as a whole. So there was actually this um, temple in town that's not for any particular religion. It's just for any kind of spiritual growth for any religion. They actually have like a list of different areas. There was also a place called the School of Metaphysics in my city. And then one of the biggest impacts for me was this class I took my last year of high school um, with one of my favorite teachers called Classical Ideas and World Religion. And it really just goes into each different major religion throughout the world. We went to, like I think, 16 different religions and just helps expand your mind of like, hey, these religions exist. Here are what they're about. Here's what they stand for. Yeah, and that's that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most important things about especially going through adolescence. Like you said, you experience this in high school, and it's really important at that time to get a wide range of things so that especially at the age where you're starting to not necessarily decide, but arrive at your own conclusions that you are able to have a wider range from that cafeteria to choose from. Uh, So going into more specifics about spiritual belief, 
what is your definition of God? Might have to cut out that pause there. Give me a second <laughs> to think. Um, so taking this, the idea of Atman, where it's the God spirit inside of you, or you can even think of the Holy Spirit from Christianic belief and Judeo-Christian in a way, or in Buddhism and Taoism, the concept of like the universal flow of the life. I think that that's more of the idea of God. So not necessarily a certain entity or being, but this universal con constant. And I think that's also kind of a scientific belief as well. A lot of atheist scientists still believe in a universal constant and the way the, I don't want to say astrophysics, but the physics of our existence and our reality. There's a lot of balance between philosophy and ideology such as religions and i say that as a way of like not saying that they don't they're not true or anything like that because i'm not saying any religions false or true but more on the idea of like hey these are the beliefs that an ideology like Christ judeo-christian or buddhism have but also the science behind it i think that understanding the both of those is the key to understanding god in the in the sense of the question yeah thank you so much for that answer because it's uh I always appreciate that even if someone doesn't believe in the traditional definition of God as we know it, that uh, applying a sort of different point of view from it or all of the different points of view uh, is a great way of illustrating that. If I, inter so then, if I may interject real quick too, yeah. um, one of my favorite books that I've ever read is this Tao of Physics where it takes – bits and pieces of multiple different religions and compares it to quantum mechanics, physics, uh, mathematics, and all sorts of different sciences and logic-based areas and really shows the, the balance between science and ideology. I think that's a very crucial distinction for people to have for their growth. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so then going even into more specifics... Is free will an illusion? How <laughs> is it or is it not? What, are you trying to make me take the red pill or something? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so free will. I think free will is a truth. Like I actually do sometimes believe in the idea of fate or destiny, but I do think that there's a way that you can shape it. And even if you're going to head at the same result, I think free will shapes the path that you're going to take. So they say the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Well, who's to say your journey is going to be the same as the journey of you in a parallel universe? And so the path that you take to that final result is going to be different. And I think that's where free will comes into play. Yeah, I like that because uh, you explained where it can diverge through the alternate universe sort of thing. <laughs> um, so then without, and I think that a lot of people make this assumption, and so Without a set religion with that's setting the guidelines for morality, how do you determine what good behavior is? I don't know if it was a Stoic or some other philosopher who mentioned this, but basing your morals off of a doctrine or dogma often makes you immoral because of the fact that if you're basing it off of just one source, who's to say that another source is wrong or right? But if you can take multiple sources and compare and contrast in your own mind, whether you believe them or not, it's just to entertain the idea and see what they are learning and what they they know. Just like reading a book and learning from someone's experience that way. Same deal, but you don't have to believe in that religion to learn from it. I think that's how you develop your morals, and that's how I did my morals. So going back to the high school idea, I wanted to mention this before I uh, kind of moving on, is that one of my best learning experiences, especially in self-education, was when I left class and went to the school library and just basically in a matter of three months just basically burned through the entire philosophy section of that particular library. <laughs> and I got like a college-level philosophy education from it. And I learned a lot from different cultures and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of dig into that, uh, what was, I mean, it's hard to discuss philosophy and say, what is the one thing, but like, what, what, what did you kind of lean into and what did you discover through 
yeah I digging into philosophy yourself so i've always been into philosophy ever since i was a kid even too like it's it's crazy how that was an interest even young and i i'm, I'm very grateful that i had that interest at young uh, at a young age but uh for the most part I, I don't remember exactly all that i learned it, it was like what 10 years ago at this point but um <laughs> One of the biggest things that I can recall right now is a book from Aristotle or about Aristotle at the very least, and it was some kind of universal balance. And Aristotle was a very scientific minded person, but his philosophy almost was opposite in a way. It almost had this kind of idea of a deity and that kind of thing. And if there's an Aristotle buff that's listening to this and it's cringing, I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> that idea of balance has been always been my life principle. I don't know if that's another question you're going to have down the line, but I'm answering it quicker. But uh, my life principle is balance. And particularly, like I've mentioned with my business aspect, the balance between science and, tech, uh, and ideology. So, or technology and ideology, that the log logic and more unexplainable, so to speak. And why, the how and why. That balance between the two is what I learned from that Aristotle book. And it's what I've learned from that Tao physics book. And overall, just any kind of reflection I've had in life has always alluded to that balance. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then speaking of balance, uh, we're seeing a lot of division uh, politically, socially, uh, economically, uh, literally right now there are riots going on in Minneapolis, Atlanta, Los Angeles, et cetera. Uh, how do we reduce the division? First off, if anyone's listening, stop writing. Like, I don't care what particular <laughs> belief you believe in. Stop writing. That's not a good way to go about it. Protest, fine, but stop writing. Um, I don't have an answer for this per se, but I was watching, ironically, a TikTok video where this guy is relative. Like, it's not the generic thing like you see dances on YouTube. This guy was is like a stoic and he's very philosophical in nature. And I wish I could remember his username so I can shout him out because he's really cool. But he had a video where... He was explaining that he he was a political atheist in a way. He doesn't believe in the bipartisan system or in some kind of collectivism ideal, more the idea of like, hey, I base my judgment off the problem that we're facing and trying to figure out and how we can solve it, not on the groups that I identify with. And um, his idea there was not about if you're red or blue or green or purple whatever kind of political party you would identify as it's about the project problem that you're handling there and i think that when you're trying to protest we get too divided on the whole collectivism idea of like hey i'm a republican or conservative or hey i'm a democrat and liberal and not to mention too the founding fathers of the u.s did not base the idea of this political system of being bipartisan they based it off of the group the whole collection not a collection of smaller uh brands right yeah so then how do we take this idea of a political atheism and spread it out <laughs> well and maybe that's not for everybody if you if you want to really believe in a certain party fine but don't let that stop you from being open to the ideas of another party i found myself identifying as a teenager like as a moderate and i i wouldn't even say that now at this point because that's still kind of like has the idea of bipartisanism if you're a moderate i feel like but because you're like oh i'm in the middle but it's still a duality you're in the middle mm -hmm. of the duality i think that regardless of if you identify as a liberal or conservative fine but like try to approach the situation systematically if you find a way of like hey this is a problem we need to face Look at it from different angles. You're going to see something that you're not normally going to see. Don't necessarily try to use dogma of your particular party to decide, but what do you decide? Yeah. Um, given that we both live in the United States and there is this huge selfishness that is overriding all of our culture how do you live with or against the selfishness selfishness that pervades american culture 
I don't know if this is selfish of me, but I kind of avoid it a lot of the time. <laughs> I try to just stay out of it as much as possible. I, ironically, as much as active I want to be, it's not the active areas that I want to be in. Like I've seen a lot of political stuff on social media, such as Instagram or TikTok or YouTube in the recent weeks for various reasons, whether there are riots or for more police brutality or whatever reason. But I felt that despite the fact I might have a voice to be able to say about those certain topics, I don't necessarily think that that is a topic I want to stand for. I, I know that that sounds kind of bad, but I don't feel like that my energy applied to that is going to help anything. Whereas my energy applied to helping people understand self-education and smart cities and innovation is a good way to not only avoid those bad situations through just changing the system, but also that's a better way from a way for me to apply my energy rather than focus on the negative. Yeah. I like that a lot. What are you optimistic about for our future? Things are looking pretty bleak right now. So let's uh, point upwards a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is going to sound a little bit more bleak, but I'm looking forward to the recession that we're going to hit because like I said earlier, um, because we're basically already in it at this point. I think we were going to hit it probably anyways, even without the coronavirus. But then that just made it even worse because we were overdue for a uh, bear market anyways. But um, it's interesting how, like I said, with the Freudian quote, it's the species that is most likely to change and adapt are the ones that are most likely going to survive. And as a business-minded person ever since I was a child, I'm always really curious to see which businesses are going to survive, which ones are going to thrive. There's a lot of, like, pizza, there was a pizza place. I don't remember where it was, but this pizza place, and they, they usually made their money by selling pizza by the slice. Obviously, when you're on lockdown, you can't do that. So they decided to do was buy this plastic that their oven can melt and make face shields for any kind of service worker who's working during the lockdown. And they were able to change their business, essentially, to provide a service during this hard time. And they adapted to that situation. And so by the end of this lockdown, when things open back up, whether that's in the next couple of months or next year, they're going to have either two two businesses now or they're going to yeah. have they might stop doing the plastic. But either way, they survived and they might even mm -hmm. have two at the end. Yeah. Pizza and plastic. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> but it, the point was that they, they adapted. And I think that right, I'm, right. I'm curious to see which businesses that are just going to end because if they're if they were not able to adapt well enough, then mm. they probably shouldn't stay open anyways. Right. And I'm sure it's very annoying to deal with the tax code for having to suddenly have all of your income come from a different source. Uh, <laughs> um, do you believe humans are evil by nature? No. We're not anything well, by nature yeah. except for like, I think the only thing by nature we are are learners. We're, we're, I mean, any kind of creature is going to want to learn, but we've evolved in a way to actually learn faster and adapt that's why babies copy their parents because that's what our brains are designed to do and that's why when we were talking about self-education earlier one of the things i was going to mention that i forgot was the fact that we should be lifelong learners and we already are in a way but a lot of people who stop pursuing learning for the sake of learning let alone knowledge are the ones that often actually contribute most to like alzheimer's and dementia because their brains basically i don't want to say atrophy but break down because they're not being used enough like muscles to actually progress and get stronger and so some of the people who live longest and happiest are the ones who actually pursue knowledge throughout their lives and so they're good by nature because of that yeah definitely <laughs> What makes you content? Passion? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of times where I'm not content, but I'm content with not being content. I'm okay with it because I know that what I'm doing is important. And like the other day, I spent six hours editing a video because it was a long podcast episode, probably like what you're doing here. <laughs> and I'm sorry that you got to sit there and edit or whoever your editor is, but... um. It was drooling work. I'm sitting there editing a long video, clipping. There was a lot of audio issues. I had to, I had to go through all the uh, troubles of technology, and yet I was content doing it because I knew that the result was going to be worth it. And so delayed gratification, I guess, and knowing that my effort is going to be put towards something, that's what makes me content. Yeah, definitely. Um, always 
want to preface this and I need to just stop prefacing it, but <laughs> uh, Wayne Coyne, I was told, asked this question to people and I found it was interesting, but it always sounds like an attack. So I'm going to, yeah. When will you be satisfied? When I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's the thing where I think that not to call myself special, but like, I think that I'm a little bit more eccentric or different anyways, because of the fact that I want to be a polymath, not because I want to be someone who's just doing everything, but because I don't see myself doing anything else. Part of the reason why I didn't go to college was I didn't want to do just one thing. And so I think that throughout my life, I'm going to pursue these different areas of interest that I want to do. I'm not going to just leave these ideas on the back burner and never touch them. And I think that I'll be satisfied when I've finally accomplished all of those, which I don't think I'll do until I'm dead. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> or reincarnated for those who believe in that. <laughs> right. Um, here's one that a friend of mine uh, suggested. And I don't ask it all the time, but let's go for it. What's the point? Of my goal, life, love, uh, meaning of happiness. How, however you want to answer that. <laughs> if you're going to go on an existential question there, I mean, what's the point of anything is 42 for one. Just like that's the meaning of life. But yeah. whenever you get to the distilling down to what's the point, you just got to ask yourself why and ask yourself why again. And keep asking yourself why. Meditate on it. And why are you doing anything? And I think that comes down to your ikigai too, where we're specks of dust swirling on a rock swirling through our solar system through a galaxy through a cluster and a bubble presumably in a multiverse and regardless of what your idea is on the cosmic scale of the point of humanity i think that really drips down to what is the point of each human that's on this planet because if you look at the macro scale of what humanity is going to accomplish we don't know what's going to happen but all our science fiction says that like the end of the universe is going to happen at some point and humanity is not going to matter. So if you get to that idea, the point doesn't matter and it's kind of scary. But we live for a long time, 80, 100 years on a cosmic scale. That's no time at all. But for us, it's our entire existence. It's what we feel like. So what do you want those 100 years or 80 years to be spent on? Do you want to worry about humanity's in inevitable death or do you want to create something and help the world achieve better peace and success? Yeah, definitely. Um, what advice? Yeah, no, I I love that. And that's the kind of answer that I want whenever I ask that question. <laughs> um, what advice do you have for people in general? I keep hitting the mic. <laughs> I keep hitting my mic too, don't worry. Um, <laughs> pursue self-education, that's my advice. I mean, I think the concept of learning is super important. And like we alluded to earlier, learning how to learn. I think that's the first step for anybody. Just go watch a YouTube video about how to speed read or how to understand a concept or critically think. Whatever particular skill that you lack, find out what that is or like look up videos of skills of how to learn this. Find ways to dilute what you know into smaller and smaller chunks. Fill those chunks up, make the chunks bigger, learn more skills learn more of a generalist width of knowledge and then apply it towards a specialist depth of knowledge and take after me in a way or, or after Leonardo da Vinci and do multiple p pillars of depth of knowledge and try to find what that uh, knowledge is for you and what you want to learn and what is your ikigai. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And finally, possibly the most important question, cake or pie? <laughs> PewDiePie. Wait, what? PewDiePie. You said pie. Oh, PewDiePie. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> water. Neither. Just drink water. Yeah. I accept non-answers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dustin, thank you for doing this with me. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Where can we find you and your things? Where can you find me? So. There's just two links that I'll mention. Polyinnovator.space is my home website where you can find pretty much literally everything. Uh, I was looking at Santiago's website earlier, and he has a whole wide range of icons of his socials and platforms that he's on. I actually have something quite similar on my site. If you go down to the bottom, you'll see just literally every platform that I'm on, including DeviantArt if you're interested in spriting or my podcast platforms if you're interested in the polymath idea. 
or even just YouTube if you want to watch everything. So you can find me on that or the podcast is what I've been working on mainly recently. So just pod.co backslash polycast or forward slash, I guess. And you can find it that way. Yeah. Uh, is that like basically where all of your home stuff is or w- what is the podcast, I guess? is the um, So the Polymath Polycast is the main project I've been focusing on the past few weeks because of this quarantine. I've been able to talk to a lot of people and I've been trying to just build that up. But I try to keep everything relatively the same on each platform. So if you go to YouTube, you're going to see the Polycast still. If you go to any of the podcast platforms like Spotify, you'll see the Polycast. Um, there is some nuance to some platforms. So if you go to like YouTube or Spotify, you may see something that you haven't seen on the other ones. But for the most part, you'll see the same stuff everywhere you go. Yeah, sweet. Important to make those distinctions because being a anything guy, you kind of want to <laughs> keep it cohesive. Right. Um, yeah. No. Uh, once again, thank you for doing this with me. Uh, and I'm going to do my outro. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. Yeah. Uh, you can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. You can download the stuff that's on my Bandcamp. You can listen to the stuff that's on my SoundCloud that's more electronic composery stuff. You can listen to my master's recital, which is my composer composery stuff. Uh, and you can stream everywhere the stuff that I do with Power Cycle and Experimental Electronic Trio. We have an album out called Too Many Damn Cables. It is completely improvised. And so that is some interesting background music if you want something going. But if you also want to pay attention to it while you're listening to it, it's also pretty nice for that too. But it's also fun to bear in mind that it is completely improvised. It's just extra stuff from when we were at rehearsals and not rehearsing, but just messing around. (laughs) Um, And you can find this podcast on any of the platforms where you find podcasts. Feel free to leave reviews, comment, and discuss about the stuff that Dustin and I talked about. And stay tuned for the next podcast where Dustin will talk about many other things. I always end my podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are... Love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.